Before we engage this evening's subject matter, I wanted to uh, formally invite all of you listeners out there, if you are uh, within range of the Diocese of Santa Rosa, to come this Saturday to, I think, a pretty important event, a day put together by the Department of Religious Education within the Diocese of Santa Rosa, a day where we are uh, going to be given the opportunity to reflect more deeply into uh, this call that we have to forgive one another. Um, I've pulled up a letter written by the bishop there in Santa Rosa, Bishop Vasa, and so what I thought I would do is just um, read this brief letter. This is what he has to say. Uh, Dear Congress participants, we warmly welcome you with joy to the annual Santa Rosa Religious Education Congress. This is a day to assist those involved with the handing on of the Catholic faith at all levels. The theme of this year's Congress is Nourishing the Gift of Forgiveness. In Luke 15, verses 11 to 32, the compassionate father of the prodigal son celebrates his lost son's return. He ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him, and celebrated with a great feast. Our Heavenly Father embraces us whenever we return to him in love. The divine mercy of God is lived out in our lives, especially in the sacrament of reconciliation. Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit on the apostles. He said, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. This Congress is a great opportunity to not only nourish your faith and understanding of this sacrament, but also to take advantage of the gift of confession available throughout the day. We welcome speakers from our own diocese as well as other dioceses such as Douglas Bushman, Hector Molina, Father Gary Thomas, and uh, the world-renowned Dr. Ray Garendi, and others. May Mary, the Mother of Mercy, always keep you and yours close to the heart of her Son. And penned... Bishop Vaza, as well as the Director of Religious Education there, Deacon Dennis Purification. So there you have it. Uh, This Saturday uh, at Cardinal Newman High School from 8 to 5, a wonderful opportunity to kind of go on a a retreat day. Uh, So please do take advantage of that. Um, Yours truly will be there as well, uh, presenting a few workshops. So um, don't miss this opportunity. For more information, you can go to SantaRosaCatholic.org. So with that, let us open up with a word of prayer. Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening where we have the opportunity to reflect upon the life and thought of one Pope Francis. And as I do each and every Wednesday, I have Bob Cross with me, my sidekick here, to discuss all things Pope Francis. So, Bob, it is great to have you with me this evening. Great to be here, Joe. Thank you. So, Bob, life and thought of Pope Francis, thought, joy, the gospel, life. Where is he in the news? Okay. Um, There are a number of pieces this past week where he was in the news, but I I wanted to touch upon one thing that that hit me while I was reading it. And in the month of October, uh, bishops will convene from October 5th to October 19th to more or less establish initiatives that are going to be the major point of discussion a year from this October. Uh, the Great Synod on the Family, where the Church is going to look into all of these issues concerning the family so as to get a a deeper understanding of how to uh, better pastor the family in today's um, popular culture. 
Of course, they're going to be reflecting upon many things. But it's not, Bob, so much what they're going to be talking about that struck me. Pope Francis has done something now on two separate occasions, and it's kind of a sleight of hand, okay? He did it with the canonization of St. John Paul II and St. John the Twenty-Third, And what was it? Well, the fact that he canonized these two men on the same day. What was his implicit message if it wasn't explicit? Well, it was the fact that there is a unity, a kind of harmony between what Vatican II was all about and what we've been discussing for the past seven months and what the new evangelization is all about. There is a direct correlation, and that correlation is this primacy on the universal call to holiness, and out from that holiness, how we are to better understand how to hand on the faith. Now, what is the sleight of hand for the month of October? Well, at the conclusion of this preparatory synod, this preparatory two weeks, he's going to do something. He's going to beatify Pope Paul VI. Who's Pope Paul VI? Well, Pope Paul VI, of course, is the one who took the baton from John the Twenty-Third during Vatican II, but maybe more importantly, he really set himself apart in 1968 when he penned Humanae Vitae, which was widely unpopular. And yet, within that document, what we have come to see and have come to appreciate, what, 45, 46 years later, is that Pope Paul VI was a prophet. Because in that document, Bobby talked about contraception. And he talked about other bioethical issues. And he said, if we allow these things, it will cause damage to marriages. There will be consequences. And some have suggested on some level that Pope Francis is different than John the 23rd, is different than Paul the 6th, is different than John Paul the 2nd, is different than Ben the 16th. And well, he is, because he's his own man. Just as, Bob, you are your own man, and I am my own person, so on and so forth, Right. But when God calls a man like this, he doesn't do it autonomous from all of those who have already (laughs) laid the ground. He brings his uniqueness so that we might gain a deeper understanding of how God wants to work in the present moment. Pope Paul VI was a great man, a man of holiness. And to beatify him on October 19th or thereabouts sends a message to all families A man, Bob, who is known for his holiness, for his governance, for his document, Humanae Vitae. He is sending a message, and I think we need to draw back and appreciate what he's doing. In the same way, in the same way he did with uh, John Paul II and John XXIII, canonizing them on the same day. And as I talked about then, it just wasn't about the new evangelization Vatican II, it was also about mercy, but... Pope Francis has a way of doing things to get our attention. I'm just here to try to translate a little bit of that, Bob, <laughs> but it's important to be thinking about this. Well, it's going to be interesting as, as you connect the dots for us, Joe, um, how much the media will, uh, or how much is going to be lost of them, I, I guess I should rather say, um, that it's not just a coincidence that, you know, the author of Mana Bite, um, you know, is... Um, at the forefront of Pope Francis's thoughts as he leads this meeting about the families. And we've, we noted a few weeks ago, all of this isn't, as you mentioned, or as you, you coined, happenstance. This isn't uh, something that just is uh, all falling together 
um, by virtue of chance. Mm -hmm. This is very, very well planned, and there's a reason for everything that's taken place over the next 12 months, actually, all the way through to next October, when Pope Francis uh, may be coming to Philadelphia. Yeah. It's all but confirmed that he will be here as a follow-up to yes. what's going on this month. Yeah, which is most exciting, which is most exciting. So, yeah, I mean, what is the message, point blank? He's going to want us thinking about what Pope Paul VI did for the family, and he's going to draw our attention to Humanae Vitae, and he already has done so. He's already done so. I mean, when you think of Pope Paul VI, it's interesting. We don't necessarily think of Vatican II, or we don't necessarily think of the great uh, encyclical on evangelization in the modern world. We think of Humanae Vitae because of all of the controversy behind it, and when you read it, it's beautiful. It's beautiful for all of our listeners out there who might not fully understand why the Church teaches what it teaches on contraception. We've devoted um, whole programs to this, Bob, but I really do encourage them to read Humanae Vitae. Pull it up online, read it. If you have questions, don't hesitate to email me. I'd love to talk to you about it. J-H-O-L-L-J-M-J at yahoo.com. I welcome that conversation. Uh, There's some beautiful stuff in there, beautiful stuff. So uh, that being said, I did want to get into the joy of the gospel, Bob, because... Once again, um, our Holy Father, in his own way, has a way of challenging us. And it is an exhortation, an exhortation on the new evangelization, which we are made to see that in of itself it is a document that is going to challenge us to be better stewards of our faith and the gift that God has entrusted us with so as to better understand, again, how to hand on the faith. This particular section, Bob, is a section that deals with spiritual worldliness and his message no to spiritual worldliness. So I'll know, Bob, if you can get us going here with reading there, paragraph 93. Spiritual worldliness, worldliness, excuse me, which hides behind the appearance of piety and even love for the church, consists in seeking not the Lord's glory, but human glory and personal well-being. It is what the Lord reprimanded the Pharisees for. How can you believe? who receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. It is a subtle way of seeking one's own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. It takes on many forms, depending on the kinds of persons and groups into which it seeps. Since it it is based on carefully cultivated appearances, it is not always linked to outward sin. From without, everything appears as it should be. But if it were to seep into the church, it would be infinitely more disastrous than any other worldliness, which is simply moral. Mm. There's the challenge. Huh? It's interesting that we're reading this on the heels of this past Sunday's Gospel. We've been spending a lot of time reflecting into the message that we heard this past Sunday, Bob. And again, this is the parable of the two sons, um, where we have this parable that deals with the you know, the say what you mean and mean what you say, where we are made to juxtapose, you know, what we say versus what we do, appearance versus reality. This is what he's talking about. Now, in that parable, our Lord certainly is speaking to Israel, those who oversee the law, the Pharisees, the the Sadducees, the scribes, the Sanhedrin collectively. He's challenging them. Are you embracing exclusively the letter of the law and missing the spirit of the law? Remember the great prophecy that comes to us from Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. The only time in all of the Old Testament that we see and read the language of the new covenant, where Jeremiah is talking about the dawn of the new covenant, and he says the law will no longer be written on stone, 
but will be inscribed upon the heart, etched onto the heart. We read in Ezekiel similar language. God will sprinkle you a new heart. He wants us to see that is Christ, that it is not about just following the letter of law, but understanding that the letter has a purpose, that the letter is set up for uh, relationships so as to better understand the dynamic of interpersonal relationships. And so once we can begin to appreciate the spirit of the law, then the letter of the law, Bob, will be illuminated. So Pope Francis's challenge is quite simple. If you are hiding behind the letter of the law, that means you miss the essence of the law, the spirit of the law. You know, paragraph 94 says, this worldliness can be fueled in two deeply interrelated ways. One is the attraction of Gnosticism, which he defines as a purely subjective faith whose only interest is a certain experience or a set of ideas and bits of information which are meant to console and enlighten, but which ultimately keep one imprisoned in his or her own thoughts and feelings. Okay, so there what he's saying is there is a worldliness based upon our unwillingness to open ourselves up to the world around us the created world around us where there's objective truths, Bob. So he's challenging us there. He's also defining Gnosticism, and this is interesting. We've been spending a lot of time on Tuesday evenings with Gnosticism, so I'm, I'm not going to chase the rabbit in the hole in this one. But he's also talking about here a little bit of a sentimentalism, you know, where we look at certain things and we just reduce everything to our experience, what we feel. And so he wants us to get out of this sentimentality And he wants us to engage uh, the faith in a more holistic way so that we understand bigger picture stuff. Again, when I talk, Bob, about the letter of the law and spirit of the law, I want to make myself clear. What Pope Francis wants us to see is that the spirit of the law opens us up to better understand the letter of the law. So he goes on in his his second uh, deeply interrelated way. He says, the other is the self-absorbed Promethean Neopelagianism of those who ultimately trust only in their own powers and feel superior to others because they observe certain rules or remain intransigently faithful to a particular style from the past. Say that five times fast. Promethean Neopelagianism, huh? So what is Pope Francis talking about here, Bob? But this kind of spiritual snobbery this kind of uh, narcissistic authoritarian elitism, whereby instead of evangelizing, we close the door to grace because we're too busy exhausting our energies and inspecting and verifying. What Pope Francis wants us to see, in neither case is one really concerned about Jesus Christ or others. They are manifestations of a self-centeredness. And he makes the point, and it's a strong point, it is impossible to think that a genuine evangelizing thrust could emerge from these adulterated forms of Christianity. We have to appreciate that the Holy Spirit is the protagonist of the church, constantly making it new. The message doesn't change. The message is definitive. We've talked about this a great deal, Bob. But what he wants us to see is that we have to open ourselves up to understand that the Holy Spirit is wanting something right now from the church, a deeper holiness and a deeper understanding that we have a call, a challenge before us to engage the culture of death and to be able to engage that culture in such a way where they are now able to better understand the faith.
Well, you know, he's uh, jumping into a couple of really, really interesting, you know, concepts. Because, you know, the first we're talking about, you know, the, this emotional um, attachment that we all have to the way that we look and we see and we perceive things, you know. And then the other is just, um, you know, a sense of, of arrogance over the fact that, hey, we have a certain rules and we feel like, you know, because we observe those rules, it's classic, you know, um, uh, gospel um, teaching that Jesus mm-hmm. uses the scribes and the Pharisees as a point of reference for everybody to understand. You know, it's it's one thing to to say something; it's another to do something. Mm-hmm. And as Christians, I think we have to ask ourselves all the time as we go through these wonderful words of Pope Francis that, you know, he's asking us, and and we've said it before in a very personal way. You know, to be be defined by what we do, not what we say. Mm-hmm. or what we think, or what we feel, as we're mm-hmm. discussing here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his words are strong, Bob. You know, I'm just looking down here at this paragraph 95. Uh, very provocative. You know, he says, This insidious worldliness is evident in a number of attitudes which appear opposed, yet all have the same pretense of taking over the space of the church, quote-unquote. Huh? He says, In some people... We see an ostentatious preoccupation for the liturgy, for doctrine, and for the church's prestige. But, and this is what's essential for Pope Francis, without any concern that the gospel has a real impact on God's faithful people and the concrete needs of the present time. So his message is clear. Are we so concerned with our advancement that we miss the essence of the Christian and Catholic vocation? to live in God and to serve other. You know, he makes a fine, fine point as it relates to the new evangelization here, Bob. And when I read this, it really, really struck me. He says, all of our efforts to advance our local communities without God, to be seen, to be noticed, it can translate into a social life full of appearances, meetings, dinners, and receptions. And here's the point I think that's, stri- that's really striking. It can also lead to a business mentality, caught up with management, statistics, plans, and evaluations, whose principal beneficiary is not God's people, but the church as an institution. One of the points John Paul II made years ago was that the new evangelization will never thrive in a community that is concerned or caught up in this corporate mentality. This is what Pope Francis is talking about right now. While the church is an institution, it is first a family. And this is what Pope Francis is wanting to drive home. Now, is he saying, Bob, that we are not to be concerned with the stuff of liturgy? Of course not. The liturgy is the source and summit of the faith for reason. There's an interesting caveat. His namesake is who? St. Francis of Assisi. When we think about St. Francis of Assisi, we think of two things. Animals and the poor, right? Because he talked to the animals, okay? And he had... Uh, this incredible heart for the poor. And certainly Pope Francis embodies that. But what often goes unnoticed with St. Francis of Assisi is this. He wrote very little, Bob. What he did write about was the importance of things like purifying liturgical vessels, making sure that all things concerning the liturgy are right. But here's the thing. He did so in light of understanding what? The spirit of the law. How can we say that? 
Well, we know that he was serving the poor to the poor. Why would he spend so much time with the liturgy if he was so concerned with the poor? Well, we are to see the two in light of each other, not opposed to each other. We are to see the mass for what it is, the liturgy for what it is, our worship of the one true God. And that place, that sacrament where God enters into this bridal union with our very souls in the Eucharist. And that that is the necessary sustenance and food and strength for then going out there, Bob, and serving the poor to the poor. So if you are so concerned about the liturgy, so preoccupied about the liturgy, that you're not worried about the poor, we have to challenge ourselves and say, what are we preoccupied with as it relates to our relationship with the church? So again, very important to think about this within the context of not putting two things against each other. I want to make myself really clear on this, Bob, because for our listeners, I know I've been in a number of conversations that we, we want to put Pope Francis in a box. We've talked about this a great deal, but it persists. <laughs> it's very consistent. He's liberal. He's not. He's so on and so forth. He wants us to see the church for what it is, okay? And the letter of the law, the spirit of the law, the corporal works of mercy, the spiritual works of mercy, they are to be seen in light of each other. The spiritual and corporal works of mercy are mutually illuminating. We want to try to label him. We want to put him in a box. I mean, he's speaking to that here to some degree. He's addressing that almost directly. And it's less about, you know, ideology and less about, you know, what makes us feel good or how we maybe perceive something else. The liturgy, liturgy is about Christ. Just last week, last Sunday, we talked, you know, in you know, one of the readings, you know, St. Paul is talking about took the form of a slave didn't equate equality with God, took the form of a slave, subjected himself to death, death Mm, on a cross. I mean, isn't that what the Mass, what the liturgy is all about, is about the poor, about being a slave, about being what Pope Francis is talking about here? Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't have almost one without the other, but yet, many, many Christian circles, you have people arguing and debating Scripture and, 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 you know, how to interpret it constantly Mm -hmm. without understanding, hey, really, Scripture, the liturgy, being Christian is all about how we can empty ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as you talk about that, Bob, it's really important to see how when we approach our faith in its sacramental dimension, in its uh, biblical dimension, in its doctrine, we are to receive it in that disposition of absolute surrender, that disposition, again, of that first beatitude, being poor in God. When we receive the wisdom of the church as it comes to us in and through the sacraments, in and through the doctrine, in and through sacred scripture, we then, uh, we find ourselves empowered uh, by the gospel, by the sacraments, uh, by by the doctrine, to then go serve our brothers and sisters in Christ on the margins. It's certainly a constant theme in this document, but it is important to note within the context of these paragraphs what he's after. We cannot be preoccupied with this ostentatious stuff. And when he says that, he's not downgrading the Mass or the liturgy because there's something right about beautifying the liturgy. What he's saying is, if you're putting an overemphasis on that ostentatious display, then we have a problem. He's not saying that doctrine is bad. He's the first person to say doctrine is is about Jesus Christ. 
Maybe as I'm looking up at the clock, Bob, I, I wanted to make sure we got to the end of these paragraphs, and I wanted to uh, share these last few sentences that come to us from paragraph 97. He says this, This stifling worldliness can only be healed by breathing in the pure air of the Holy Spirit, who frees us from self-centeredness, cloaked in an outward religiosity, bereft of God. Let us not allow ourselves to be robbed of the gospel. Again, appearance, reality. It is fitting and very providential that we are talking about this very specific subject matter on the heels of Sunday's gospel. Because what we are made to see in the end is that God is challenging us with that great, that great battle cry of the early Christian church, motus operandi. Why do you do what you do? What operates your motives? Are you so concerned about uh, the ostentatious liturgy because you're wa- you want to impress someone? Are you so concerned with the church's prestige uh, for your own self-centeredness? He's kind of asking us these questions, and he wants us to take up these questions anew, and he wants us to challenge ourselves so that we might begin to see Jesus Christ for who he is in the poor and all those around us who, in fact, are the Christ calling out to us, serve me. And again, he's not sacrificing the stuff of the Catholic Church in what he's saying. He's simply saying we need to reprioritize how we go about doing what we do. And it's not sequentially saying, well, the poor is more important than the church, period, because the church in of itself is called to bear witness to the poor. The Eucharist in of itself is a sacrament of and for the poor. It's not, it doesn't have anything to do with that. He's simply saying, where are you at? Are you so obsessed with appearances and what people think that you have forgotten about me? Do you wake up in the morning thinking about pleasing man? Or do you wake up in the morning thinking about pleasing God? Do you wake up in the morning for the glory of yourself? Or do you wake up in the morning for the glory of God? You know, and the, the key word that I think he's using in, in all of these chapters is this world, worldliness. I mean, when you really think about what that word means, you know, and, and how we are called to live in his world, his with a capital, capital H, mm-hmm. God's world, Christ's world, and worldliness that Pope Francis is describing here is our tendency to want to live in our world and, and to feed our egos and to feed our our esteem and our stature, what we perceive that to be. And um, that's, that's, that's an interesting way and a label that he uses, that word worldliness and the yeah. way that he you know, references it throughout these chapters. Amen to that, Bob. And I think we'll, we'll use uh, those words to wrap up our program. And so let's go ahead and close with a prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth. 
heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.